Hello, Brad here. Just to say we're super proud that the Friday 5pm podcast is sponsored by the Malt Miller, the UK's best home brew store. We use the Malt Miller for all of our homebrew experiments, as well as tapping them up for advice and binging on their awesome YouTube channel all the time. That's why whenever we release a homebrew video, we put a recipe kit live on the Malt Miller, so you can brew with the exact same amazing ingredients that we did. The same ingredients used by pro brewers. So alongside the Malt Miller's nitro-flushed hops, cold-stored yeast and milled-to-order malts, you can pick up recipe kits for our Five Points Best Bitter, Russian River West Coast IPA, and now the fastest beer in the world, a hazy session IPA that goes from grain to glass in less than 48 hours. Sign up to their newsletter at tinyurl.com forward slash maltmiller to get 5% off your first order. With the Malt Miller's amazing customer service and Johnny's 48-hour recipe, you could order the ingredients on a Monday and be drinking the beer by the weekend. Speaking of which, it's Friday. It's 5pm. So enjoy this week's Friday 5pm podcast. Good afternoon, Beer Geeks. It's Friday, it's 5pm, and I can now open my mouth wide enough to welcome you to the podcast. Amazing, amazing, Johnny. So good to hear you talking again. The world has has been a quieter place without it, that's for sure. (laughs) I think definitely, definitely my house has. Um, I'm still on still on the soup diet, nice. But I'm also back on the beer diet, and I had to be because we were uh, doing a hell of a lot of filming this week. Yeah, soup and beer, what a combo! What an absolute liquid love affair. <laughs> it does mean that because we, we've talked about this on the podcast before, how I I barely drink any water, so I'm probably more hydrated than I've than I've ever been. I guess yeah, soup's got liquid in it. It is it is basically water based, isn't it? So. There you go. You heard it here first. Soup's got liquid in. There you go. There's your your first insight. We're barely a minute in, and we're blowing people's minds here. I know, right? On the daily, that's what we get. That's what we do, Johnny. <laughs> well, we we it was actually our turn to have our minds blown Oof, nice. this week with the the breweries that we that we visited. Should we start by talking about Hook Norton, which was just it was it was it was magical. Definitely one of the most special brewing experiences I've ever been involved in um just yeah like a like a fairy tale castle if i had to describe it (laughs) it's it's kind of insane looking but beautiful and like a mad victorian yeah castle looking thing with with giant overgrown horses and just everything's made of copper and brass and steamy and beautiful and and wood. wood so much wood Oh, Johnny, what a what a spectacular place. What a lovely people. What great beer. And yeah. We we talk about it in the in the video that we've made about you know how you know having a beautiful location and a sense of tradition and history can lead to, you know, having you know, really interesting and kind people working there because they're the kind of people that really care for this kind of stuff. And then also as a result you end up with brilliant products as well because they really care about that. And I think I, so I didn't grow up a million miles away from Hook Norton, and when I was in my teens and just getting into beer, um, I drank a fair amount of, of Hooky, um, and I never, ever really appreciated just how historic and how um, you know culturally vital it kind of was, not just to the area of, of, of Hook Norton, where I grew up near Oxford, but just, you know, in terms of being an app, like a literal 
time capsule like inside that building there are things that have not changed and somebody who's never seen that side like maybe you know an american beer geek or maybe just you know somebody that's got into craft and never really loved beer before never really been into car scale they'll walk into there and be like this is like going back in time i've never seen anything like this it's it's, and it's it's amazing it's been there 172 years like yeah that's insane and and on that site from what was it eighteen ninety nine they started building it mm. so you know that lots of the stuff in there is still the building itself is one hundred and twenty years and lots of the equipment in there is still one hundred and twenty years old and still working which is the other big difference between lots of other historic breweries have kept that stuff but they're not using it anymore like you know Fuller's um, have the original copper but it's not being used and Harvey's a sort of a mix between like beautiful new stainless stuff and amazing historic stuff. Whereas Hook Norton, you know, the brew that they did when we were there, everything went through the original equipment, the original mash tun, the original copper, and it went into an original, what would have been slate, but was, was now steel lined square. Yeah. Fermenter open. It just, um, yeah, there's nowhere else in the world. I think where that's really happening. Maybe maybe the Czech Republic and a couple of places in like Bamberg and bits like that, but that that level of history, that 120, 170 years, is is mostly gone now. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, honestly, it's one of the most beautiful, incredible places I've been to on my my journey into into beer. Just a phenomenal thing to be involved with, um, and that'll be coming. In the next month or so, went into the Craft Beer Channel in a in a sort of top secret project we're working towards. Yeah, just just over a month that episode will go live, and and we sort of delve into the history of it and chat to uh, what would he be fifth fifth generation? I think George was um, about both both the history of it and and the future. So like they've got this giant beautiful cool ship at the top of the brewery that they might want to start using again, and you know they really understand the you know the the incredible gift they have and they want to do their best with it so um yeah lots of exciting stuff coming out of hook norton and and lots of exciting stuff for the video as well um so yeah we were there on tuesday and wednesday morning we uh we hitched a lift with the shire horses um which was another (laughs) unbelievable experience um and then after that we went to pretty much the opposite of hook norton uh an hour drive away to daya brewing yeah, I mean, you couldn't get much more different, really, uh, in terms of a, a brewery experience. We're talking the, the hippest, trendiest, freshest, uh, shiniest brewery I've been to in quite some time. Um, <laughs> it's it's. I mean, it's a beautiful place, and the, the beers were tasting incredible, Johnny. Yeah, I mean they they've gone from strength to strength. Like they've always been consistent and always had really delicious beers, particularly Steady Rolling Man. But you know they they gave us some beer to take away, and I drank a couple of them last night. And each one, you know, sometimes you get a bit of beer fatigue, and you like you crack open a beer and you get halfway down, and you're like, oh, I'm not really enjoying this. I wish I hadn't cracked it, or maybe it's not that good. Just all three beers that I had last night, like I demolished. Absolutely loved every second of them. And while we were there, we had. Um, uh magazine magazine cover which was unbelievable so crisp but so much aroma um just beautifully made the intention to detail is incredible um and yeah i think you know day are are definitely one of those breweries that we're lucky to have in the uk the kind of places we used to look over to the states with envy 
and now we've we've got one in in Cheltenham, a world class, um, big brewery. Yeah, you know they're they're yeah. making a lot of beer now, and they're doing it incredibly well. And that was the thing that we didn't have. Every time a brewery got big, you know, it would it would the quality would tend to decline. We've seen it a bit with Brewdog. We've seen it um, with Meantime. We've seen it with Beaver Town. Although I hear Beaver Town is sorting their issues out, but I mean, I'm we're, we're not touching that because of Heineken now. But even before. Um, the Heineken Association, the beer was was dropping off a cliff. And I think Thornbridge were the only guys that were probably big and relentless quality. And now now we have Daya and it's very exciting. And that's part of what the video is about. But also we were there because I brewed a collaboration with them uh, to help release my book, which comes out on the 20, uh, 27th of September. Um, so we're putting together um, a, a four pack of beer that will be released with the book. Uh, so the book's all about seasonality, and then there's going to be four beers, one for each season. And Daya brewed springs. So we've got a, a West Coast double IPA coming your way. I think I can tell you that. You just did. Yeah, I can you tell you that. You just did, John. Yeah, I just did. I could edit it out, Brad. The magic of pods. I would I would uh, keep it. I think it's a, a nice little exclusive there, Johnny, for anyone listening that wants to act on that uh, four-pack as soon as it comes out. Yeah, there you go. Don't Don't pre-order your beer yet until the pre-orders for the beers go live too. Um, and we'll also be doing an event at uh, Daya as well. I don't know whether Brad will be joining me yet. We need to work that out, but there will be an event, um, possibly with lots of cheese, lots of beer, and hopefully lots of book sales. Um, so you guys will be the first to know about that. But yes, we have a video in which we chat to uh, Gareth, the head brewer, and Theo, the founder, um, not just about the the beer that we brewed, but the um, the changes that have happened at Daya because it's it's pretty incredible. And going back to the original site, which is, you know, just around the corner, which is now their barrel room, and they're hoping to, I think, reopen it as like the the wild fermentation tap room. Um, I mean, the the contrast is is unreal, and how far they've come so quickly. Um, they've just done an incredible job, the whole team. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I haven't been anywhere that that's grown that fast and that well in quite some time. And and like you say, it was I've never actually been to Daya before, so it was kind of yeah, quite amazing and humbling to see that first unit that they came from, uh, the scale of it, and you know, it was a, it was a lovely intimate intimate space um, that they've now obviously put over to barrel stuff. But you know, the new space is just phenomenal, and uh, yeah, just I'm just I was blown away by it all, Johnny. I mean, I was already blown away by the beer, but um, having sort of seen where they're making the beer now has just made me even more excited about the future of Daya. It's a, it's an interesting thing. Sometimes you go to a brewery uh, that you love the beer of and you sort of look around and you go, you make that here? Really? Yeah. And sometimes you go to a brewery and you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, Daya looks exactly like you'd expect it, like spotless, big, airy, fresh is quite a good word for it. There's lots of plants, lots of white walls and beautiful... Um, uh, beautiful artwork from from their uh, artist who does everything. It's just it it, it it's sort of a, a mirror image of the cans and and the beer that's inside. Um, whereas then you go to I don't know like to some extent like Verdant back at their old place, uh, Little Blue they called it their Little Blue warehouse. You'd walk in and go like I thought you guys were bigger than this. <laughs> um, and it just didn't make any sense that that much noise and that much excitement and that much delicious beer could come out of. You know, just what was probably just really a really big shipping container, basically. 
That's, um, I guess, but that's now the, obviously the verdant place is huge. Yeah, that's the magic of of beer, though, isn't it? Sometimes you know these these guys can start off with something quite humble and still produce world class beer, and that allows them to catapult themselves to the stratosphere. Um, so I think it's it's just just shows the opportunity in beer and in the market still. You know, if you can if you can elevate yourself above the noise then you know you can you can dream big and you know it's like uh kevin costner in field of dreams when he's got the weird whispering voices that tell him if you build it they will come <laughs> um it's just like that johnny but with with a giant beautiful shiny brewery <laughs> there it is um right so uh despite being on the road we did just about manage to squeeze a video out um i was uh, i just uh, just got home from that trip, went went into the house and thought, oh, I'll settle in now, relax, um, maybe take some paracetamol. And uh, then I realised the video hadn't gone live. Um, I'd literally just forgotten to click the button. Oh dear. You had a Kevin's mum so, from Home Alone moment. <laughs> and you were just like, the video! The video! <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, apologies to anybody that was, you know, we, we've, we've tried to build this thing where people will be like, Hey, it's Wednesday. It's craft beer channel video day. Um, but clearly that hasn't worked on me because I got up on a Wednesday <laughs> and just went, it's just another day. Um, so that went live on Thursday at 4 PM instead. Um, and that was another homebrew video, which we shot at Malt Miller when I was making those films for camera. Uh, all about homebrewing with Andy Parker of Elusive. Uh, and this one was all about the boil, which is definitely the most simple process in, in the whole brewing um, brewing process. I mean, certainly compared to, you know, mashing and fermentation are just, you know, chemical, well, works of wonder of nature and chemical complexity. Um, and the boil obviously has lots of chemical stuff going on, but there's only so much you can really influence it. Um but there's some great tips in there, I think, particularly if you're confused by all the different hop products that are out there now, like Spectrum, Incognito, T90s, T45s, Cryo, all this kind of stuff. There's there's lots of information in there to explain uh, what they are and what they're best used for, um, as well as some, some tips around getting the best from your boil um, and, and getting, you know, bitterness right and stuff like that um so yeah um did you have any did you see any comments from that video that you liked um no i was just thinking about t90 though i I was thinking is that the name of a terminator robot but i've just googled it and it's a russian tank um which is still pretty beefy but it's it's not a terminator robot um in terms (laughs) of comments for the video um i just i just like the fact that people are using them when they're brewing and they're watching them as they're boiling. So we had a comment from Matt, uh, Matt McLeary. It says, watching this as I'm boiling right now. Thanks for the tips. Um, you know, I think these, these are great videos, man, that are just over time. Uh, hopefully they're just going to be a, a massive resource for home brewing. Um, and Andy's just such a font of knowledge. So it's, it's just great to get him on camera and, uh, Geek out, man. This summer, I'm going to be hosting talks at the Manchester, Bristol and London Craft Beer Festivals, giving festival goers the chance to attend tutored tastings, rare beer pours, meet the brewers and even guided tours of the bars. 
These three festivals are the highlights of my events calendar, featuring some of the world's best breweries with delicious restaurant pop-ups, great music, and a really welcoming party atmosphere. It's the third year I've been hosting the We Are Beer Tastings table, but for the first time, I'm delighted to offer all of our listeners, viewers, and Patreons £5 off a ticket when you use the code CBC5. Just hit the link in the description to buy. See you there. Yeah, and it's you know what I love about Andy and and Andy's book as well is you know he is he is a, a fountain of knowledge, but also he's he's a fountain of knowledge that understands homebrewers. So you know there's so many breweries now that you know we go for homebrew tips, um, and that you know they haven't done a homebrew in a decade, twenty years, thirty years. Um, whereas you know Andy, what what was it? Twenty twenty seventeen, I think he founded Elusive. So in twenty sixteen, he was still you know, a, a, a bathtub brewer. He was still using a, a hacked mash tun, um, a copper on his on his hob kind of vibe. Um, so it's you know he he completely understands that they're very different challenges on a very small scale, um, and that you know very tiny errors can result in a completely ruined batch. And he he understands um, how to fix that and also the frustrations of it. So all the information that he's he's giving is. Uh, kind of um he understands that you're not going to get the absolute best process down i think and sometimes when i've spoken to brewers they're like oh yeah just um you know if you're adding the hops you know you've got to purge the headspace you've got to bubble co2 up through it and we've done that in our videos to see if we can do it but it's like they just go oh just do that and you're like uh with my plastic bucket and my <laughs> soda stream co2 and you know it's not a sealed container um so yeah that's why i love what andy does i think he's he's a brilliant communicator slash influencer for the uh the home brewers yeah man that's that's the um, that's the difference right he's like the missing link from home brewing to uh full-scale commercial brewing so he can see mm-hmm. sort of both sides of the coin and uh doesn't doesn't look down on it or anything i think it's just just brilliant he's um so enthusiastic about it it's, it's awesome yeah and he's always he's always got time as well. Like you can just tweet him with a homebrew question, and he'll he'll get back to you eventually. He's he loves talking about it still. Um, so my comment for this week doesn't come from this week's video. It actually comes from a video we made during lockdown, which was um, when I tasted West Veteran Twelve. Um, at well, we thought it was five years old. It's actually three years old. So apologies for that. Um, but uh, it's it's one of those wonderful comments where you're not entirely sure if it's a troll. But somebody took serious exception to something I said, uh, and that that someone was Bill, um, and he he quotes me in his comments saying uh, where I say, uh, if you're not looking for profit, you tend to put more care into the actual product, uh, and then he says, what utter shit, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is uh, it's a cutting comment, but it's a simple comment, um, and what. What I, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because, firstly, I stand by that um, that comment entirely, um, and the reason that I stand by it entirely is is mostly because of the context of the video. So yes, you know there could easily be an argument that if you're not actually making any profit from it, you might do the opposite. You might not really care. You might be like, well, you know, this isn't a commercial business. People are doing it to support whatever foundation or whatever it is, so it doesn't need to be perfect. But 
with particular reference to beer and particular reference to the Trappist beers, uh, and my reply to him was that, you know, beer is an industry that was entirely ruined by profiteering, mm. race to the bottom pricing, squeezing of margins, and compromising a product in the pursuit of pure profit and margin. So for me to sit there and drink a beer, a beer made by a brewery, significantly older than most of these macro breweries, um, and using using ingredients and knowledge that's come from breweries that are centuries old and have never made a dime of profit, does show, and you know, these beers are, that beer is regarded as the best in the world by some people. So clearly there is a link. If you're not trying to run uh, a, a very profitable commercial business, if you're just looking to raise money for your certain causes, then there is the possibility for you to care more about the actual product, to take more time over it, to make more investments into its production and to not scale production to the point where you're making huge compromises in the pursuit of margin. So, Bill, I think you're talking utter shit. Oof. Fight, fight, fight. <laughs> Here ends my fighty TED talk. Yes. I mean, yeah, I I, I agree with you, mate. I think uh, he's he's just too... Uh, yeah, you, you can't look at it like that because that's how you get to the bottom. We're all about getting to the top, making the best of exactly. the best. And, and yeah, like no, nothing in the world is, is black and white. And obviously there's exceptions to what I said, but to just dismiss it as utter shit, I think is deeply unhelpful. And, uh, um, well, I, I thoroughly enjoyed applying. I hope he comes back to me. <laughs> maybe, maybe he will, maybe he won't. The trolls don't generally come back a second time. Um, right, moving on uh, to our question for the week. Um, I, I said that like there was going to be a jingle. Um, and now I wish there was one. Um, but uh, yeah, so this week's question is not a recorded question. It's a written question and it's a long written question. Um, he's asked two questions. We're going to start with the second question because it's strangely timely and we'll save his even longer, more in-depth question for next week. There's a couple of typos in this. So excuse me if I uh, if I get this wrong. When isn't an American IPA one of, one of a West Coast IPA, New England IPA or Mountain IPA? Is an East Coast IPA different to a New England IPA? If so, what makes it different? It continues, should the I stand for India if it's not British slash English IPA? Uh, so much to unpack. And then uh, naming shouldn't annoy me, but it does feel like the US versions and Pacific versions should be Imperial Pale Ales, then Dipper Tipper, while British versions stay as India Pale Ale. Not that we can ever change it, as breweries seem to classify beers as whatever they like. Yes, they do seem to do that. Um but let's break it down because basically the reason I wanted to bring this up is there's a really interesting new article that just went live on Good Beer Hunting, um, all about the, the the murky, unethical, sort of darker side, not just of India Pale Ale and the history of it and its associations with you know the the atrocities of of the British Empire, but also the complications of using that term in the modern world. Um, so I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. Um and the 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 guy that wrote it for Good Be Hunting is called David Jesudason. I hope I pronounced that right. Um and it's an amazing article. It's really brilliant, really interesting. He's got lots of beer historians, but also some modern brewers who who talk about it as well. Um so yeah, I thought that if if this question interests you, it would be a great thing to read. But basically, um 
an American IPA, the way I see it, and, and maybe Brad would disagree, I don't know. Um, an American IPA is an IPA made with American hops. So it's it's a catch-all for West Coast, New England IPA, Mountain IPA, um, probably Sour IPAs, probably Session IPAs. You know, it, it's not a style. It's like distinguishing it from an English hopped IPA. Does that... Is that reasonable, Brad? That is that is reasonable. I would say that's that's very reasonable. Um, you know, the reason why they're we, we we're kind of obsessed with American uh, IPAs these days is because the the hops are so you know amazing and different to what we kind of traditionally use for IPAs over here. So um, yeah, I think that's a totally fair comment. Cool. Good. So that's the first part of the question. The second bit was, is an East Coast different to a New England IPA? So Fuck. East Coast IPA used to be seen as slightly more British influenced than the stuff that was happening on the West Coast back in the sort of the 90s and, and 2000s. So the classic example of an East Coast IPA, even though it's from Chicago, would have been Goose Island IPA because it wasn't crazily hoppy. It had lots of malt character. It might even have some English hops in, possibly Goose Island. I can't quite remember now. But so it, it was more based on the the recipes that uh, these brewers were digging out back then that were you know English IPA recipes. Um, whereas uh, the West Coast were using big American hops, dialing back their um, yeast character, making their malt beers uh, malt bills really simple to try and just sing about the hops. Um, there's not many sort of East Coast style IPAs really made anymore. And that style name has kind of just disappeared as a result because now just it's all West Coast or, or New England IPA, basically, or Mountain IPA, if you consider that a style. So, yeah, East Coast was different, but it's not really anymore. Um, should the I stand for India if it's not a British English IPA? <sighs> Uh, so that's where we'd get into the the complexities of of this article. But I I, I do think, you know, it, an an imperial pale ale. Um, it's interesting. So imperial, the history of it is it became imperial became the word for the strongest version of that style that a brewery made back in the eighteen hundreds. You know, you'd have your your porter, your stout porter, um, maybe your double stout, and then your strongest would be the imperial stout. Yeah. So it's the absolute strongest. And that, that comes from, uh, well, from some marketeers trying to make the most of the fact that some of those stouts went over to uh, to the Russians, um, the Russian oligarchs. But imperial means the strongest of it. So if you're using imperial pale ale, then it should be the strongest thing you make. Which, you know, that, that could kind of work. But really, India, for better or for worse, probably for worse, has become known as this is very, very hoppy. So you can you can put it in front of different styles and people will understand that. Like we've got India Pale Lager. We've got... Oh, India Porter actually probably was a thing. There were... More Porter went to India than um, any pale ales. So actually India Porter, or Porter as prepared for India as it would have been known, um, is actually much more... Um, makes more historical sense than, than IPA. So yeah, I can't agree um, that that we should sub out India for Imperial because A, it could be misleading. It might not be the strongest one you make because of Dipper, Tipper. And then B, because, you know, these beers, these IPAs, these India Pale Ales in America were based off of British recipes originally. So it keeps that lineage going, I guess. 
Yeah, I th- I think it's it ha- it has to right. I mean, otherwise it just becomes incredibly confusing. How can you you can't also enforce an, a name change across an industry? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, just the practicality of it is tricky. I mean, like IPA is the it's the probably the most requested, most drunk craft beer style pretty much everywhere in the world every single year, Johnny. We always say it's going to be the year of the lager or something, but it's always year of the IPA. So, you know, to sort of fundamentally go, oh, no, 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 sorry. Now, boys and girls, you've got to call it uh, Imperial Pale Ale. Um, it, just, it just wouldn't fly. It'd be fun to watch us try, though. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to throw my weight behind that uh, that campaign. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, so if the revolution's coming, it's not going to come from the Craft Beer channel. Um, Jordan, I hope that answers your questions. Um, We will come to you next week uh, to answer your question about beer storage, beer aging, beer temperatures, and uh, dry corks. Um, But yeah, we'll we'll save that for next week. Um, So on Wednesday, our next video is the final of that little series of homebrew tips. Um, and then we've got some exciting episodes. Uh, we've got some homebrewing happening. We've got uh, a video. We're going to be doing a video about Mertzens and Oktoberfest. And then we'll be diving into the big secret project we've been teasing for a long time towards the end of September. So lots going on, lots of excitement, um, which is why we keep putting videos late and missing podcasts. But we're getting better about it again. I promise you. Every week, without fail, except some weeks, uh, we will be here <laughs> oh, for your yeah. Friday 5 p.m. needs. Um, cool. Anything to add, Brad, or is it love and beer time? Also, we forgot to say that we are doing a live show tomorrow night, aren't we, Johnny? Oh my god! <laughs> it's too late to buy the beers, but if you want to, um, uh, well, if, I mean, maybe you can go out and buy a few of them in a shop, or, or just something similar to drink along with us, because we haven't done a live show in so long, and it would be nice to see all of you, uh, lovely people. Yeah, absolutely. So the live shows with Unity Brewing, one of my favourite breweries in the UK. We've got an incredible beer list, which we announced on Twitter, so you might be able to try and track down some of them. But otherwise, just come with come with lagers, IPAs, sours, Imperial Porters. We've got it all going on. Um, start to 8pm tomorrow. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can click on that. Um, and it'll be a lot of fun. Jimmy's a really engaging, really interesting guy, so it should be a great live show. So yeah, 8pm tomorrow night, um, Saturday night that is. Uh, we'll be going live on our YouTube channel uh, for lots and lots of beers. So we'll see you then. Love and beer. The Bubble and Friday 5pm podcast are brought to you by the nerds behind YouTube's Craft Beer channel. You can watch over 400 mini documentaries at youtube.com slash the craft beer channel. And if you love what we do, support us via Patreon and get access to merchandise and our amazing Discord forum. A positive and welcoming space for everyone who loves beer, food and homebrewing. Love and beer.